Story five of Kafer Kangaroo Klondike Tales of the Gold Fields by Thaddeus William Henry Levitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story five The Garden Gully Mine. You ken Bendigo, said my companion, looking out of the corner of his eye at the bottle sitting on the table before us. Right well, I answered. We had dropped in at the Criterion, Swanson Street, Melbourne, for an evening. Well, continued Sandy MacLeod, it's a long time agone, but I'll never forget it. Forget what? The Garden Gully. Did you ever hear the story? Now I'm a new chum, as you know. I poured out a glass of Fallon sparkling. At the sight, Sandy smacked his lips. Sandy was a colonial solicitor, and apparently an unprofitable mind to work for a story, so I bided my time. The glass of wine began to mellow his heart, for he abruptly exclaimed, Men on goldfields are crazed with greed, but a good-looking woman sends them stark mad. Even I, Sandy MacLeod, was once mad. It was only a passing craze, I suggested. Not a bit of it. Mad for months. Mad when awake and doubly mad when asleep. What cured you? A nip of the same dog. And then he burst into a laugh. One more glass, and then I will tell you the story. Settling back in his chair, he began in a voice mellower than I dreamed that he possessed. Teddy O'Flynn, yes, O'Flynn with a big O, as he used to say, had a little cabin on the Bendigo field, and behind the cabin was a little garden in the gully. It was the only garden on Bendigo at that time, and we all knew it to a man. No deep shafts then, only a spade, a pick, and a tin dish, and thirty thousand miners on the field. That garden grew roses, and English roses too, at that. I can see them now, and it's near on fifty years ago. They whispered to every man jack of us of home, dear home. When we went up there and leaned on the palings of a Sunday, back we were in our native villages. Teddy O'Flynn was not the man to cultivate roses, save the ones which blossomed on his nose, and they were always in full bloom. Teddy had a foster daughter, the Queen Rose of Bendigo, and as the roses bloomed, so bloomed Rosa, for that was her name. While the roses were in bloom on Saturday afternoon, Rosa made a round of the camp. She never sold the roses, but she made each miner a present of one, and the miners, not to be outdone, made her a present of a pinch of gold. She had to pinch it herself between her rosy little finger and thumb. Rosa took up the camp in a regular way, so that in time we all got a rose and were satisfied. Teddy O'Flynn had never studied books, and yet he was a bit of a philosopher, and an Irish philosopher at that. Teddy never worked, and yet he ate and drank of the best on Bendigo. Perhaps the pinches which Rosa made had something to do with Teddy's good fortune. The miners were content. Teddy was happy, and Rosa, well, the whole camp was in love with her. And you fell in love with her, too, I ventured to remark. I never denied it. At that time there were but two lawyers on the field, Phelan Shea and Sandy MacLeod, that's myself. Part of the time we dug on the lead, for we both held claims. But when a dispute arose, Phelan was retained by one client and MacLeod by the other. Then we fought it out before the gold commissioner, and honors were generally equally divided. The shamrock and the scotch thistle, they used to call us. 
The best of friends we were, though we often nearly came to blows. Rosa distinguished us from the other miners by calling us gentlemen. Phelan and I were regarded as the favored suitors, but that did not prevent the other men from striving to secure such a valuable claim. One evening I was at O'Flynn's cabin, and the next night Phelan was at the same place and basking in the same smiles. To all of our vows Rosa returned the same answer. What would become of Teddy O'Flynn if I married? We each promised to allow Teddy a pension for life. Rosa well knew that Phelan and I could not scrape up a hundred pounds, but like all miners we were willing to bank on the future for any number of thousands. Rosa was most impartial and fed each one on the same manna. Our infatuation increased month by month, and when the rainy season came on and no roses remained, Teddy proved equal to the occasion and regularly borrowed half a sovereign from each when we called at the cabin. Phelan may have lent the money out of sheer Irish goodwill, but I know that Sandy MacLeod, in his heart, regarded him, Teddy, as a golden fleece. How the contest would have ended I cannot say, but unfortunately Teddy suddenly conceived the idea of becoming rich. That decided our fate. His plan was to sink a shaft in the garden, in the gully, and open up a gold mine. Naturally we expected that Rosa would protest, but on the contrary she declared that the plan originated with her own sweet self. She had dreamed that there was an immense deposit of gold hidden away beneath the English roses. Teddy had only to dig and he would find the treasure, but no person was to assist him and the work must be done at night. Only Phelan and myself were taken into the secret. Teddy went to work and day after day poured into our ears the history of his progress. As the garden lay far removed from the Bendigo lead, and no indications existed that gold would be found, in our hearts we secretly felt that it was a clever device, upon the part of Rosa, to keep her foster parent out of the public and at the same time set him to work. The mining had been going on for about three weeks, when one afternoon Phelan and I each received a note from Rosa asking us to call that evening at the cabin. We were punctual to the minute, but each was somewhat crestfallen on discovering the presence of his rival. Teddy O'Flynn was laboring under an excitement which he in vain attempted to conceal. After a substantial supper and a glass of hot toddy, Rosa drew the curtain of the four-pane window and then told us the story. Teddy had struck upon one of the richest leads ever found on Bendigo. The earth was literally packed with gold. Then Teddy took up the running. I tell yous, I've struck it. We both grasped him by the hand, for Teddy had suddenly become an important factor, a factor we instantly saw must be counted upon and conciliated. Rosa was now heiress, it might be, to millions. Not that we loved her any more ardently, that was impossible, but fortune had suddenly turned the wheel, and we keenly felt the change. All we could say to Teddy was, rich, rich. Just loaded down with the yellow beauty, he exclaimed. Come down and see the jade. 
She's led me many a fine caper from the old sod, up here among the kangaroos and the wallaby and the bears with no tails and the dirty haythen neggers, but I've got her down in the gully, and it will be sailing away to the blessed shores of St. Patrick that Teddy O'Flynn will be with a mighty big O. Come with me this blessed minute. We hurried down to the gully. Once on the spot we saw that Teddy was original in his mining. He had cut a series of short trenches, which grew deeper, and finally terminated in an irregular hole, into which we all crowded, though unable to stand upright, so low was the pit. Teddy lit a candle, and pointing to the pick, said to Phelan, "'Dig! Dig!' Then he gave me the shovel. The ground was very hard, of a dull yellow color, and interspersed with small gray broken quartz crystals. We filled a wash-tub, which Teddy deftly lifted to his head and balanced with his hands, then marched out and up to the cabin. In the kitchen we began to pan out the contents of the tub with the aid of some water and a tin wash-dish. Teddy stood aloof, leaving Phelan and McLeod to do the work. The earth was literally full of coarse gold. In all of our experience at Ballarat and Bendigo we had never seen its equal. "'I want you gentlemen to float a company,' said O'Flynn. "'What shall we call it?' "'The St. Patrick.' "'No,' said Rosa. "'I dreamed it out, and I must name it.' "'What shall it be?' "'Call it the Garden Gully.' Then and there it was christened and baptized in the wash-tub. "'How much shall we float it for?' inquired Phelan. Fifty thousand pounds at a pound a share.' give all the boys a chance. The following morning the notice was on the door of the commissioner's office, and within two hours every rod of land for half a mile on each side of the cabin had been staked out. The camp went mad, hundreds of good claims were abandoned, and as promptly jumped by the unlucky. Before the sun went down, Phelan and I had more cases than had ever fallen to us before in our lives. When questioned about the Garden Gully, we related the story of the wash-tub. That day every share was sold and half a crown paid down. For two days it was almost impossible to get near the cabin. The earth swarmed with miners, but not a speck of gold was found. On the morning of the third day Phelan and I found our huts besieged by an angry mob. During the excitement, Teddy had been transformed into Teddy O'Flynn, Esquire, a personage who held high carnival at the Golden Fleece, and who, during that time, had ordered and helped drink one hundred bottles of champagne at twenty dollars a bottle. The situation was serious. Phelan and I were marched up to the Golden Fleece, where O'Flynn was secured, and the trio, followed by thousands, proceeded to the garden gully, where Rosa was mounting guard over the entrance to the mine. She was armed with an antiquated musket, and resolutely kept the men at bay. A fierce light burned in her blue eyes, which enhanced her beauty a thousandfold. At our suggestion, two miners were let into the pit to secure some wash-dirt. Our lives hung upon the issue. If the miners did not find gold, our fate was sealed. Phelan, McLeod, and Teddy would dangle from the limb of the nearest gum tree within ten minutes. The dirt was brought out and panned off in the presence of the mob. I shall never forget the silence which fell upon the men till my dying day. 
when the miner turned and flashed the gold in the pan in our faces a cheer for o'flynn broke forth and such cheers as bendigo had never heard before the very hills rang again and again rosa was the heroine of the hour dirty and greasy miners clasped her in their arms and kissed her with frantic joy o'flynn and his solicitors were escorted in a triumphal march back to the golden fleece where teddy made a speech and shouted for all who cared to drink in the confusion phalen and i made our escape the next day shares in the garden gully advanced to two pounds each a week later the mine was turned over to the shareholders and work commenced teddy o'flynn was entertained that night at a banquet at which it was declared that he was the gold king of the land of the southern cross at midnight teddy sank a limp mass under the table and was carried to bed with the honors of a dead pharaoh for a few hours the garden gully realized the wildest dreams and then just as suddenly stopped not even the color could be found shares dropped to a shilling and no takers the gold commissioner ordered an investigation during the inquiry it was clearly shown that the mine had been salted the plan had been to first dig the hole and then charge a gun with powder and coarse gold and fire it into the earth rosa who was innocent of the fraud testified that at night she had heard many shots and that o'flynn had explained that he had been shooting at the kangaroos which came to gnaw the rose bushes when confronted by the evidence o'flynn refused to confess maintaining a dogged silence save that if the mine was salted rosa and his solicitors were innocent the money received was returned to the shareholders except a few hundred pounds which o'flynn had squandered o'flynn was committed to stand his trial the following night phalen and i repaired to the little cabin where much to our surprise we found rosa apparently in the best of spirits when we asked her for an explanation she said i tell you there is plenty of gold in the garden gully and it was not put there by teddy o'flynn i saw it again last night in my dreams it is down deeper and runs away out there pointing toward the range will you dig for it or shall i do the work myself we suggested hiring two miners no she said with a toss of her pretty head it must be found without any outside help and teddy set free instantly we both agreed with her we would have agreed to any proposition falling from the same lips without a moment's delay she produced two miners caps into the peaks of which she thrust two candles then marched us out to the pit the candles were lighted rosa took a seat on the tub we seized the pick and shovel and began to dig rosa chatted and laughed the hours flew by at midnight she brought us a lunch and two bottles of ale but it was not until near dawn that our taskmaster called a halt rosa explained that during the day she would wash some of the dirt and report the result the next night worn out and completely exhausted phalen and i staggered to our huts not a word was exchanged as we stumbled down the path our hands were covered with blisters our clothes bedaubed with yellow clay our faces streaked and seared with soot and grease from the dripping candles two such melancholy objects could not be found in all bendigo each was determined not to yield 
it was a contest of scotch grit and irish pluck all day long we slept or nursed our lacerated hands each recuperating for the second struggle we were animated by no hope that gold would be found a more powerful influence was at work and bade us continue the struggle at night we were again at the cabin rosa reported no gold then we renewed our labors with the same hardships and the same results for eight nights in succession the struggle went on our legal business went by the board rumors said we were drinking ourselves to death and appearances confirmed the rumor on the ninth night imagine our surprise when rosa informed us that we had struck the lead and in proof exhibited fully an ounce of the yellow metal no miner ever gazed upon a great nugget which he had found with joy equal to ours it was a drawn battle when will it end was the query in our minds rosa gave no sign but served an excellent supper prepared to celebrate our success it was then arranged that rosa was to pay the gold commissioner a visit the following morning and inform him that the lead had again been found in the garden gully and that consequently teddy o'flynn had committed no fraud and should be released our offices was open that day but no attention was paid to our reformation so great was the excitement an investigation of the mine proved the truth of rosa's statement once more the tide turned in favor of teddy o'flynn and for the second time he became the gold king of bendigo teddy had sold the garden gully for a rich mine and it was rich the shareholders demanded the return of their stock paid in their money and gave teddy a second banquet at the golden fleece with the same results save that teddy went under the table at ten thirty instead of at twelve a weakness attributed to his confinement in the caboose and consequently condoned by his friends three days later phalen and sandy mcleod each received a note from rosa requesting them to be present at the cabin at eight p m and also stating in postscript that it was an important occasion therefore we were to be dressed in our best phalen inferred from the word important that he was the lucky man while i drew the same inference from the same word walking on the air for our happiness made us oblivious of bendigo its dust and its wretchedness we approached the cabin at the same time punctual to a minute we passed compliments of the day and then surveyed each other phalen was dressed in a pair of black trousers a white shirt and a collar a yellow vest but no coat sandy boasted an antediluvian dress coat blue trousers and a red shirt we were met at the door by rosa clad in a white muslin gown with a great bunch of roses at her belt i had never seen her look lovelier so great was my happiness at securing the prize that the words died on my lips phalen was equally overcome and for precisely the same reasons teddy received us with genuine irish hospitality and a glass of whisky entering the cabin we were face to face with a young english curate who had been sent up from melbourne as a missionary it was evident that the hour had come we were confronted by our destiny the curate remarked in a languid drawl this is a happy occasion rosa smiled her sweetest 
Then she went out to the kitchen and came back blushing and leaning on the arm of Dennis McCarthy, a young Irish miner. My dear friend, she said, I have bid you to my wedding. Dennis is the lucky man. We pledged our troth in dear old Carrie. The ceremony proceeded, and each kissed the bride. It was the first and last time. How we spent the next hour I shall never know, and Phelan can furnish you with no fuller particulars. I have a confused recollection of Rosa, the curate, Teddy, a bunch of roses, and McCarthy, that is all. At last we got away, heaven only knows what we said. Once out on the path, we stalked along in moody silence. When we came to the Golden Fleece, we each turned in, entered the private parlor, and ordered whiskey straight. Two hours later we were sent home by the landlord in Barrows. When I awoke the next morning, I found myself in Phelan's hut and in Phelan's bed. Phelan found himself in my hut and in my bed. How the thing happened we have never been able to explain. The following day, when we met, we concluded to enter into partnership, and the sign reads to this day, Shea and MacLeod Solicitors. No, we have never married. What about the Garden Gully? The mine is running yet, and has paid the shareholders many handsome dividends. Rosa? The day following the wedding, the bride, McCarthy, and Teddy took a special stage for Melbourne en route for the old sod. A week later, my partner and I each received a letter, precisely the same, written in Rosa's best hand, containing a certified check on the Bank of Australia, drawn in our favor, for five hundred pounds. End of story five.